Well, as always, church, it's good to be with you. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tyler David. I'm one of the preaching pastors and elders here at the Austin Stone. We're glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, go and open up to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. We'll be there in just a little bit. Um, We're in the book of Exodus. We're going through the book of Exodus, um, verse by verse, story by story. Uh, through this book, and let me just really briefly do a, a quick recap of where we are so you can know uh, why we're in chapter 7. Uh, so far, what we've seen is that God's people are oppressed and enslaved by Pharaoh, and they're helpless, they can do nothing about it, so they cry out to God in prayer, and God raises up Moses to deliver them. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen God get Moses ready to lead Israel out of slavery. So now we're in chapter 7, and in chapter 7 what we see is the stage is finally set for God to show up in power and flex his muscles a little bit. For God to show up and show that he's the only God, there is no one like him, that he alone is the Lord. And so in chapter 7 what begins to happen is God unleashes the plagues against Egypt. These, you've maybe heard of them before, the ten plagues that God releases against Egypt. And these plagues devastate Egypt in every possible way. In every possible way, politically, religiously, economically, ecologically, in every possible way, these plagues devastate Egypt so that Egypt would know and Israel would know and the whole world would know that you and I would know that he is the Lord, there is no other, and to set his people free. Now, in the plagues, there's a lot in there. It's a lot of text to cover. So we're going to spend a couple of weeks in the plagues themselves. But here's what we're going to focus on today. Today, we're going to focus on Pharaoh. Today we're going to focus on Pharaoh. See, throughout the Bible's account of the plagues, as the the writer of Exodus Moses is telling us the story of the plagues, he makes this theme throughout. Throughout all the plagues, he, he makes it an emphasis for us to know that throughout every plague, that every time Pharaoh sees some other spectacular judgment of God, that every time Pharaoh sees some incredible work of God, that every single time his heart is hardened. One of the things that you see that's emphasized throughout the narrative of the plagues in particular is how Pharaoh's heart is hardened, that he refuses to obey, he refuses to love, and he refuses to trust God's word. His heart is hard. And so Pharaoh's story is going to show us what the human heart looks like towards God apart from God. He's going to show us what the human heart looks like towards God apart from God. Now, there are some unique aspects of Pharaoh's story, in particular the aspect that God himself was hardening Pharaoh's heart. We'll get into that a little bit later. But what we're going to see is what a hard heart looks like. What you're going to see from the text is what does a hard heart look like? And it's important to know what a hard heart looks like because there's nothing more dangerous or more devastating than a hard heart. Why? Because it keeps you from God and it makes God your enemy. What you see from the text is that a hard heart towards God keeps you from him and all the pleasure and all the joy you get from knowing God and it makes God your enemy. That's what a hard heart does. Now before we look at what a hard heart looks like, we have to know what the Bible means by heart. You have to know what the Bible means by heart. It's a term used all throughout the Bible. It's pretty prominent in the Bible. So you need to make sure you understand what the Bible means when it uses the term heart. Because when you and I talk about heart, we tend to talk about either the organ pumping blood in our chest or our emotions. When you and I think of the term heart, we think the organ or emotions. But when the Bible talks about heart, it has something different in mind. See, when the Bible talks about your heart, what it means is the center of who you are. 
the center of who you are. That place where your deepest longings, deepest convictions, deepest values, deepest hopes, where those things lie. See, when it talks about the heart, it talks about the essence of who you are, and your heart influences everything else about you. It shapes all of your faculties, your thinking, your feeling, your acting. Everything is shaped by your heart. Look, uh, listen to Proverbs 4, 423. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. Who you are flows out from your heart. Your thinking, your feeling, your acting, it flows out from your heart. So what your heart trusts and hopes in is going to shape everything else about you. This is why you and I can change our circumstances hoping that we'd be different only to be eventually disappointed that we're the same person. That's why you and I can change circumstances, reorganize our entire lives and still be the exact same person. Because at the end of the day, all circumstances can do is reveal your heart, not change it. At the end of the day, here's what circumstances do. They will affect you. Don't get me wrong. They'll affect you in in ways, but ultimately what circumstances do is they reveal your heart. They don't change your heart. So you can change cities. You can change jobs. You can change relationships. You can even change style of clothes, but those skinny jeans aren't changing who you are. They just reveal who you are a little bit more, don't they? Circumstances don't change your heart. They reveal your heart. That's why God is always so concerned with your heart. That's why he's always saying he's after your heart. Why? Because he doesn't want to just shape your emotions. He wants to shape everything. He doesn't just want to be God over your emotions. He wants to be God over your life. And so he doesn't just want to make part of you new. He doesn't want to make, just heal part of you. He wants to make you completely new So he starts with your heart because everything else flows from it. That's why the heart is so important in the scriptures. It's the center of who you are. But like Pharaoh, you and I, our hearts are corrupt towards God. Like Pharaoh, here's the problem. The center of who we are does not want God. The center of who we are, what the Bible says, is not just sinful, though it is. It's also deceitful. It's, you're not just sinful, though you are, you're also, your heart is deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9 says it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful. What that means is that without God's grace in your life and in my life, our hearts don't want God, sin, and our hearts want to keep it that way, deceit. That the sin in your heart is not stagnant and complacent. No, it actually wants to keep it that way. Your heart is actively trying to tell you that you're better with God than you actually are. Your heart wants to deceive you. It wants to keep things the way they are. That's how far sin goes. It's not just that we have a heart that's hard towards God. We have a heart that doesn't want God and wants to keep it that way. That's why it's impossible for us to change our hearts on our own. It's impossible for us to change a hard heart towards God on our own. And so what we're going to see from the text is in Pharaoh's response to the judgments of God on him and on Egypt, we're going to see what a hard heart looks like. We're going to see what does a hard heart look like so you and I can know if we have one. And then we're going to see how do the judgments of God affect a hard heart. 
So what does a hard heart look like and how do God's judgments affect it? So look at Exodus 7, Exodus 7, 1 through 6. You know, the Bible, don't worry about it. It'll be on the screen behind me. Exodus 7, 1 through 6. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. So the time has finally come for God to rescue Israel. God's telling Moses, Moses, get ready. You're about to go to Pharaoh. Here's the commands. Here's the promise of sure destruction if he does not let Israel go. But then in verse 3, he tells us something unique. In verse 3, God tells Moses something he's been telling him since he called him to lead Israel. He tells him, Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. That Pharaoh is not going to listen to you no matter what. What happens? No matter what I do, he is not going to listen. He is not going to set Israel free on his own. And he tells Moses, this is happening because I am hardening his heart. He says, this is happening because I planned for that to happen. This is not the first time he's told Moses this. Earlier in Exodus 4.21, here's what the word of God says. And the Lord said to Moses, it's before Moses ever talked to Pharaoh, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. Listen, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. God goes out of his way. He doesn't have to tell us that. He goes out of his way to tell Moses, tell you the reader, me the reader, hey, the reason his heart is hard is because I am the one hardening it. God makes it very, very clear. Now, you have that truth, right? But what's fascinating is that's a truth that God tells us, but then also throughout the plagues, do you know what else we find out? We also find out that Pharaoh is hardening his own heart. Look at 8.15. This is not the only time it happens. It happens about six times, but 8.15 says this. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he, he, Pharaoh, hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now, this is the really unique piece of Pharaoh's story that we have to cover if you're going to understand it. It's a really important theological point we have to gain from this text. We're going to cover it really quickly, but we have to cover it if you're going to understand what's happening in his heart. Because what you see the text say is God says, I'm hardening his heart. And then another text says, Pharaoh is hardening his heart. So the question becomes, how do we make sense of these texts? Well, here's here's what we tend to do. You and I, we see texts like this, and we tend to say, well, One has to be right and one has to be wrong, sort of. That's our tendency to think, well, both can't be true. And so here are the two errors we'll make with this text. One error will be, okay, well, God must be sovereign and in control and doing everything, but Pharaoh cannot be held responsible for his actions because God's hardening his heart. That's one error. The other error is to say, okay, well, Pharaoh probably hardened his heart first, and God's just hardening his heart because that's what Pharaoh chose to do, and God's just giving him what he wanted, 
The problem with both of those ideas and understandings of these texts is it negates what the Bible actually just said. So the question becomes, how do you make sense of these texts that one says God is hardening Pharaoh's heart, and that was the plan all along, and one says that as the plagues come, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Well, in the story of Pharaoh, and honestly, throughout the entire Bible, you find these two fundamental truths. Throughout the Bible, you find these two like mighty streams running throughout the Bible parallel to one another, and it's these two truths. That God is absolutely and totally in control of all things, and human beings are responsible for their actions. You find both throughout the entire Bible. That God is sovereign and human beings are responsible, and that both are true at the exact same time. So it means God's purposes and his plans cannot and will not ever be thwarted by what we do, and we are responsible for what we do. So God determined that he would harden Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen, and Pharaoh is responsible for his own hardening of heart before God. Now, listen, how those two things coexist is a mystery. Absolutely. How God is sovereign and human beings are responsible, absolutely. How those two things coexist is a mystery, but here's what's not a mystery, whether or not God said it. It's a true statement. God has clearly said it in his word, but it's a mystery as to how they coexist. Now, if you've never heard this doctrine before, and you've never heard this taught from the scriptures before, and you find yourself having um, difficult understanding it, or you find yourself dismissing it, let me remind you that there are many foundational truths to Christianity, many foundational truths to Christianity, not like uh, periphery ones, but ones that are pillars of the faith that are clearly spoken in God's word and contain mystery. That are clearly spoken in God's word and contain mystery. Let me give you an example. To be a Christian, to be a Christian across denomination, Protestant, Catholic, doesn't matter in church history, to be a Christian is to believe that Jesus Christ is both God and man. It's a foundational truth. To believe, to be a Christian is to believe that Jesus Christ is both God and man, that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man in one person, clearly taught in the Bible. Now, the question is, how does 100 plus 100 equal 100? It's a mystery. The person of Christ is a mystery as to how that all works, but what's not a mystery is if God said it. No, it's absolutely true. It's just mysterious as to how it works out in the details. So just because something is difficult to grasp or hard to understand does not mean that it's not beautiful and good and true. And so when you look at the story of Pharaoh, you cannot understand what's happening to him in particular in his heart if you don't understand that God is sovereign. He's running the show and human beings are responsible. Now, I could spend all day here the whole sermon could be about this, but I, I don't know that that's the main point that we're supposed to get away from the plagues. I, I don't know if our main point is just simply to know that God is sovereign and human beings are responsible, though it's important and true. I think there's something more in this text that you and I need to hear. Because even though Pharaoh's story is unique, even though we know what God is doing to his heart, here's what we can learn from him still. We can still learn what a hard heart looks like. We can still see in Pharaoh's responses to the plagues, we can still see how to diagnose our own hearts to know if our hearts are hard. And so here's what you learn about hard hearts from Pharaoh. The first thing you learn about hard hearts from Pharaoh for us to diagnose ourselves is hard hearts are stubborn. Hard hearts are stubborn. So the first plague comes, Moses comes up to Pharaoh and says, hey, it's time. 
If you don't let them go, plagues are coming. He says, I'm not letting you go. So Moses walks up to the Nile, turns the Nile into blood. And so Pharaoh walks out. He sees the Nile River in Egypt, bloody, dead fish belly up everywhere, and he sees it, and it doesn't do anything to him. He sees it, and he's unconvinced. And somehow we find on the text that he had these magicians who had these dark arts and somehow had trickery where they're able to produce something like that. And so it says that he didn't even take that sight to heart. Exodus 7, 23, Pharaoh, he saw, he saw the Nile. says, Pharaoh turned and went into his house and he did not take even this to heart. He sees that and goes into his house like nothing ever happened. So that's the Nile. After that, God sends frogs. And frogs are everywhere, and they're miserable. And so even Pharaoh goes to Moses and says, hey, send the frogs away, please. He says, done, frogs are gone. He hardens his heart, doesn't let them go. Then he, gnats come, and there's gnats everywhere. And Pharaoh asks him to send the gnats away, and the magicians come to Pharaoh. The guys who are helping him oppose God come to him and say, dude, this is bigger than us. This is bigger than us. Exodus eight nineteen. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. These are the guys that were helping him oppose God earlier, and they're saying, they don't, know the, they don't know the Lord. They're just saying, this is bigger than us. You're opposing this God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So one of the aspects of hard hearts, so you can begin to ask yourself if you have one, no matter the evidence, no matter the argument, no matter the experience, hard hearts will not listen. No matter what. The unquestioned assumption of a hard heart is this. God cannot and will not convince me. That's the unquestioned assumption of what a hard heart says. So when you and I reject things God has said in his word, do you want to know why you reject it? Because your heart is hard. That's what the Bible says. That's why. Now, it may feel like, it may seem like you're rejecting God's word because you have an intellectual problem with it. It may seem like you're rejecting God's word because of a personal experience that seems to contradict what God has said. But the truth is, the reason those things are persuasive, the reason those things hold weight in your life is because your heart is hard and does not want God. Now, I'm not saying there aren't real intellectual questions and quandaries. I'm not saying there aren't real personal experiences that may have you asking questions about, is God real? What is he up to? What is he doing? I'm not saying those don't happen. But what I am saying, that the reason those arguments and the reason those experiences are so persuasive to us is because our hearts are hard. I, I can remember one time in my life where I consciously rejected God. I can remember one time in my life where I, I consciously and outright rejected God. I'll never forget this. I was in college, and a buddy of mine didn't know Jesus. We talked a lot about Jesus and the gospel and philosophy in particular because that was his major. And one night we were talking. We've been talking for two years. And one night, later night, we're talking, and he tells me, Tyler, if God showed up right here, right now, I would believe. He's like, for real, dude. Like, if... if he just showed up right here, right now. I would believe. I really would. You say he's here. You say he's alive. If he just manifested himself right here, I would believe in him. He looked, he looked at me and he said, but he's not, is he? He's not, is he? Because it's a crock. It's a sham. If he wants to know me so bad, why make it so difficult? And I don't know what it was about that particular argument, but it lodged itself in my heart. Like, I remember when he said that to me, I remember thinking, he's right. He's 100% right. 
I remember driving home that night, angry, frustrated, and saying out loud, like, I'm done. This is true, God. If you really wanted to know him, why don't you just show up for him? And in that moment, everything in me thought that that argument was the straw that broke the camel's back. It's over for me. I can't believe in God anymore. And in that moment, if you would have asked me, Tyler, why is that argument in particular so persuasive? I would have told you it's an intellectual problem that I have. I would have thought it's an intellectual issue. It's because I have no rebuttal to his argument. That's why I can't believe. But the truth is, the reason that argument was so persuasive to me in that moment was because of my own hardness of heart. How do I know that? Because that same argument today holds no weight in my heart. It doesn't persuade me at all. It actually, without going into too much detail, it actually persuades me that God is true and his Bible is real. And why is that? You've been there. Why are there certain arguments or experiences you've had where at one point in your life they tell you there's no way God could be true? You've had this experience where there's a certain, maybe you hear a lecture, maybe you have suffering, maybe you have an experience where in that moment it feels like that argument, that experience is crashing over your faith and saying there's no way you could believe God after this. You've had that experience, you've had that moment. Why is it that that same argument, that same experience in a different season of your life could actually uh, give evidence to validate your faith? You ever thought about that? Why? Like that argument now, that, that one that crushed me when I was 22, now when I hear it, it validates everything I believe. Why is that? It's because the state of your heart determines what is persuasive and what's not. The state of your heart and your sensitivity towards God tells you, shows you, it determines how those arguments and those experiences persuade you. Because you, here's what you need to know about hard hearts. Listen very clear, clearly. A hard heart will find anything, anything that opposes God persuasive. A hard heart finds whatever it may be. Whatever it is, as long as, so long as it opposes God, I'm persuaded. So in your life, I don't think other people think you, in your life, are there certain commands that you just refuse to obey? Like you know they're in the Bible, you know they're there, and you just refuse to obey them. Are there things that God says that you simply can't believe? Things that you say, no, I absolutely cannot believe that. And now, it, listen, it may be that you need more information and you need some clarity on what the, God's word has said and hasn't said. Maybe it could be information problem. But to see things clearly, you have to know and have to admit, like Pharaoh, that your primary problem is a hard heart. That what is underneath all of our issues and all of our questions and what gives them weight is the state of our heart. And hard hearts find anything opposing God persuasive. So the first thing you learn about hard hearts is that they're stubborn. But also Pharaoh shows us that hard hearts negotiate with God. The hard hearts are stubborn and they also negotiate with God. So what happens with the plagues, they start off as annoying they start off as annoying gnats, frogs, but as they continue, they only get more severe. So after the gnats, when Pharaoh doesn't listen, God sends flies, which totally grosses me out. This thing about flies everywhere, it just grosses me out. Think about, total side note about me, if we're having a conversation and there's a fly buzzing around, I'm going to kill that fly. I can't think about anything else so that fly is dead. This is how I operate. Now, if you're in here and you're thinking, Tyler, we should, we should protect flies, we'll probably never be friends because I, I can't understand your worldview. I can't understand where you wouldn't want the, that fly to be dead. I cannot understand it, okay? I think Pharaoh felt the same way. 
Because this, this is the first plague. Well, you know what shifts in him? He no longer just rejects what God has to say. He begins to make deals. So he must have thought this particular plague was so gross or so frustrating that he even begins to start making deals with God. He begins to negotiate with them. Look at Exodus 8, 28. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but here's his caveat, only you must not go very far away, plead for me. Only, that's really important, only you must not go very far away away. Why is that significant? God had been clear with Pharaoh what his terms were. God said, you let all of Israel go with all of their possessions and they travel for three days into the wilderness and there they will worship me. And what Pharaoh is doing here is he's saying, okay, let's meet halfway on this. They can go, that's fine, just stay close. And so three different times, I'm not going to read each, each occasion, but three different times Pharaoh begins to make a deal. So the first time is, okay, you can go, but stay close. The second time he says, okay, you can go, but leave your children here. The third time he says, you, you can go, but leave your livestock here. And what's fascinating is when you see Pharaoh making deals, we would probably assume his heart's changing. Like you, if you just saw that and you didn't know what was going on with Pharaoh's heart, you would assume, okay, look at him. He's softening. He's willing to budge a little bit. But it's actually more deceptive. It's actually more deceptive than that because when you negotiate with God, when Pharaoh negotiates with God, here's what you're saying. God, you and I are peers. So let's work on some terms we can both agree on. Let's get an arbiter in, in between us and let's work on some terms we can both agree on and both be happy about it. God did not send Moses to negotiate. He didn't send Moses to negotiate. He sent Moses with his unbending word of command and promise and God was not interested in meeting him halfway. You need to hear that about what God is like. He's not interested in meeting him halfway. He's not interested in giving up just 10%. God says, it's on my terms or not at all. So Moses says no to Pharaoh. See, Pharaoh shows us that hard hearts are willing to negotiate, but unwilling to submit totally. Hard hearts are cool. Let's negotiate a little bit but not completely trust God. Hard hearts are so deceitful that they're willing to lose some ground so long as they're not completely taken out. Hard hearts play chess. Hard hearts will take a loss in certain places only to gather up strength and take over later. That's what hard hearts do. They're deceitful. And honestly, I would imagine that us in this room, this is where most of us probably fall. Like, if you're here, you're probably not rejecting God's truth outright, but you definitely want to bargain with him. You definitely want to make some deals. You definitely want it to be, okay, let's meet somewhere in the middle, or at least 90-10. So here, here's what you and I will do. We'll agree to be faithful in certain areas, so long as we can be faithless in others. God, I'm cool with being faithful in that area, so long as you don't talk to me about this area. Now, let me be clear. If you're a believer in here especially, you'll always have areas in your life where you're weak and where you struggle. I'm not saying there's a place in a day coming where you'll be perfect everywhere with no weaknesses. You'll always have something to grow in, always. But there is a massive difference between a struggling heart and a hard heart. A massive difference between a struggling heart and a hard heart. A hard heart sees lack of faithfulness and justifies it. 
A hard heart sees sin, weakness, immaturity, and brings to mind, but I'm good in a lot of other areas. I know that's disobedience, but I'm already doing so many things for God. It's, it's ridiculous to think that I should have to do this too. See, a struggling heart will be sorrowful over f- lack of faithfulness. A, a, a struggling heart will want to get better and do it the best that you can to get better and just follow Jesus. A hard heart says, that's too much to ask. I don't have to. A hard heart looks at certain obedience to the word of God to justify other disobedience to the word of God. It negotiates. It makes deals. So let me give you two kind of general ways you and I do this. Two general ways we do this. The first way we do this is we will look at particular moral or religious actions we do to justify disobedience. And this may not even be conscious that you're doing it, but you find yourself, you look at your life doing these things in very subtle, deceitful ways. You look at moral or religious actions you do to justify disobedience. So we will look at and justify lack of kindness for somebody and lack of compassion for someone by remembering our Bible reading time. We'll totally forget about lack of compassion being a sin, but we'll definitely remember, but I read my Bible today, I attend church pretty frequently, so it's not that big of a deal. We will justify our lack of generosity and lack of giving by remembering our prayer life. Well, I am praying a lot. I mean, I'm not giving anything to anybody or in any way, but I am praying, so that's good. No big deal on that. We'll justify critiquing other people and complaining about situations by remembering how great our doctrine is. And how disciplined we are as people, and that we just want the church to be perfect and them to grow, and that's why we're critiquing and complaining. We'll use religious actions and moral actions to justify disobedience in other areas. That's one way we do it. The other way you and I do it is we'll look at particular intentions and emotions that we feel to justify disobedience. So we'll justify sexual sin by saying, well, and remembering, but I did have a really great time in church on Sunday, and I was crying during worship, so this sexual sin may not be that, be that big of a deal. I felt these emotions this one time, so this sin isn't, I can let that slide. We'll justify inappropriate language, coarse joking, by remembering, well, I did it, my intentions was just to make them feel welcome. Do you see how our hearts are deceitful? Do you see how your heart, more than you probably want to admit, is like Pharaoh's? See, what is Pharaoh saying? I'm willing to obey just in these areas. Lay off on these. Our hearts do the same thing. Our hearts are prone to say, God, I'm willing to do this. Just leave this thing alone. That's what we do. Now, like I said, I want to say this because usually what happens, those with hard hearts assume it's not them. And those with struggling hearts who are really being faithful assume they have a hard one. So remember, if you're here and you're struggling, but you feel sorrow over that and you want to grow in that and you're repenting of those sins, it's a good thing. It's, you're not, you don't have a hard heart. It's when you find yourself seeking to justify those things is when you should be concerned. Because Pharaoh's tactic was to get his way, and here's the, the core of a hard heart, to get God away from him. That's all he wanted, Right? At the end of the day, all he wanted was to use a different tactic to get God away from him. That's how you can know if your heart's hard, is deep down, do you just want God to get off your back? Like deep down, you're like, God, leave me alone already. I don't want to hear about it anymore. I get it. It's serious. Blah, blah, blah. 
Hard hearts will use whatever means necessary to get God away. And that's how you can assess and saying and, and asking, is your heart hard right now? Do you have areas of your life where you're negotiating, areas of your life where you're refusing? Well, the question becomes, well, how do you change it? Right? Like, if, if we have hard hearts, how do you change one towards God? Well, here's what the plagues show us for sure. God's going to have to do something far more drastic than plagues. God's going to have to do something far more drastic than plagues. Why? Because for all the destruction and all the chaos and all the devastation that God brought through plagues, all it could produce in a hard heart were moments of weakness but not faith in God. All it could produce, all hitting rock bottom can do for you is make you feel weak. But without God's grace, you'll never have faith in him. All circumstances can do is bring you to your end, but it can't lift up your head to look to God. So God's going to have to do something more than plagues for us. Now, you and I secretly want to assume if we were Pharaoh and we saw all that, we would repent. Like, like you want to assume if a dude walked up to me with a staff and said, hey, I'm turning all of your water into blood, you're like, no, you're not. And all of it turns to blood, you're like, oh, I should listen. You want to think that that's true, but it's not. That's what Pharaoh is showing us is that God could do great works, but if God himself is not working to soften your heart, you will not listen. That's what he's showing us in Pharaoh. Pharaoh would not listen because God himself was not actively pursuing his heart. That's how God's going to change it. The the thing required, our hearts require a greater judgment. For all the judgments and all the plagues God brought, it requires something more. We need something more than frogs and hail and darkness and some other terrifying circumstance. We need something more than that to change our stubborn, negotiating hearts. And what you find in the Bible, the greater judgment needed is the judgment that fell on Jesus at the cross. The judgment that was needed for your heart and for mine was for all of the wrath of God for our hard hearts to come crashing down on Jesus. That was the only judgment that could save us. It wasn't going to be a plague. It's not going to be some terrifying circumstance in your life. It's only through the cross of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus came to this planet, when he came to earth and he lived among us, do you know what he preached so often? He preached your heart is the problem. Jesus came and said, your hearts are corrupt. Jesus came and said, your hearts are deceitful. Jesus said, you think the problems are out there. They're in here. The chaos, the anxiety, the insecurity, the sin, they don't come from your circumstances. They come from your heart. They come from the center of who you are, who you are that refuses to trust God. Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 15. This is what Jesus Christ says. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, Sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Jesus himself says, all the issues. This is not an exhaustive list. What he's trying to do for us is say, everything, all of your issues, all of your sins aren't coming from your spouse. They're not coming from your job. They're not coming from your roommate. They're not coming from your parents, ultimately. Ultimately, they're coming from your heart. Jesus gets here. He doesn't sugarcoat it for us. He says, no, the problem's worse than you think. It's going to take something massive to save you. And Jesus is telling us, that's why I came. 
This is why there's no one like Jesus. He can recognize a problem and solve it. Because when Jesus died, the death your hearts deserved, my heart deserves, you know why he did that? So he could give you his heart. The reason he died for you is so he could give you a heart like his. A heart like his that can find what? Peace in chaos. A heart that can find contentment in scarcity. A heart that can find truth in complexity. A heart that can find hope even in disappointment and suffering. He's able to give you that heart because he's giving you a heart that now knows the love of God the Father. He gives you a heart that doesn't just see God operating and running the world in the plagues that he's bringing on Egypt and destroying everything. No, Jesus has all of that fury of the wrath of God fall on him so we can know his love. That's how he changes our hearts. Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son, where? Into our hearts. Into our hearts. He didn't just want to change part of you. He wanted your heart to cry out, Daddy. He wanted you to have assurance that the one who is over all those plagues, the one who has power like you can't imagine, now is using that same power to run the world on the behalf of his children. That what would soften your heart was not some circumstance being changed, but Jesus himself dying on the cross. And so the way, when you feel your heart growing stubborn towards the word of God, when you feel your heart negotiating with the word of God, you have to run to this Jesus. He's the only one who can change you. Thank God, where else would you want to go? Where else would you want to go? He's the only one who can change you. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're on the fence, you don't really believe, you're not sure, your responsibility is just to receive the work of Jesus. To know that no matter how much you change your life, you're not going to be able to change your heart. So often, that's why people come running to the people of God is their lives have taught them, I can change everything in my life and still be completely miserable. Welcome to the club. You're in the right spot. Because we're people saying, been there, done that, Jesus is the one who changes hearts. And if you're a believer, please don't assume and grow tired of going to Jesus. Like, don't think, I know, I know Jesus. I need practical wisdom, though. Practical wisdom won't change your heart. It's hearing from Jesus the love of God that changes your heart. That's what changes your heart. And then all the practical wisdom stuff is helpful. And Christian, you have to know your heart, even though you're saved, can still be hardened by sin. Don't think because you're a Christian, you can kind of do whatever you want and you'll be fine. No, trust me, your heart can still be influenced by sin and even made hard towards the word of God. This is why we have to keep going back to this Jesus who softens our heart for the first time and every other time. Because Jesus alone can keep your heart sensitive to God's word. Jesus alone can keep your heart passionate for his presence. Jesus alone can keep your heart faithful to his leadership. So when God's word comes to you, whatever it says, whatever it calls you to, whatever it tells you to believe, whatever it tells you to do, whatever promise it gives you that Christ has purchased, that you're struggling to believe... Don't harden your heart. Don't make the mistake of thinking, no, I can't believe that. I could never do that. No, listen to the pleading of the word of God. The word of God itself pleads to you, Hebrews 4, 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
That's a letter written to Christians, by the way. It's a letter written to Christians saying, Christians, when you hear the word of God, the voice of God through the Bible, don't harden your heart. Don't refuse. Don't negotiate. But receive his word in faith. Pharaoh is a testimony to you to how devastating and dangerous a hard heart can be. What did a hard heart produce in him? Chaos, sorrow, destruction. But guess what? He felt strong. So you have that going for you. You'll feel really strong. You'll feel really competent as everything erodes around you. And Jesus knew it so well. Jesus knew how dangerous a hard heart was so well that he gave his life for them. Jesus dies for hard-hearted people to save them from their hard hearts and all the devastation that comes with it. So when you hear his word, don't refuse, don't negotiate, but receive his word in faith. Let's pray together. Father, before we move on, before our hearts begin to concentrate on something else, before our minds wander into lunch or whatever else we're going to go do, God, would you just right now show us how serious this issue is? God, right now, would you sober us up and remind us that we are a people prone to being hard-hearted towards you? That even people who have believed your gospel and even people who have seen Jesus for who he actually is can still be a people influenced and hardened and made numb by sin towards you. So God, I am thankful that we don't have to just approach you when our hearts are soft and we're sensitive to your word. We can approach you when our hearts are stony and we don't feel like we could ever believe in you again. But God, when we come running to you, you are strong enough to overcome our hard hearts. That Jesus, your cross was all that we needed to change us. God, it was through your son's death that you sent your spirit to dwell in our hearts and cry out, Abba, Father. That even when our hearts are hard, we don't have to worry that God's given up on us. That even when we find ourselves refusing or negotiating, we don't have to worry that God's going to leave too. Because, God, we can look to the work of your son and know you have promised to be with me. That my heart's going to repent and I'm going to come back to you because, God, you won't let me go. And the reason we can see you for who you are, God, is because you keep coming after our hearts. That, Father, you weren't interested in meeting us halfway. You went all the way towards us when we were dead in our sins. You saved us and loved us. So God, make us a people who don't move past Jesus and think that somehow reorganizing circumstances will solve our heart's problems. God, you and you alone can do that. God, use us to be a people to the city who show them how beautiful it is and how life-giving it is to submit to God no matter what he says, to trust him. God, to see that you're good. So God, give us a song to sing in this moment that we would trust and treasure you above all. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's sing together.